Hey, good morning. We're not in a series right now. In fact, every once in a while, I kind of enjoy doing what we would call a standalone message around here. It's just something that God has been putting heavy on me, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. And I certainly have one this weekend because this has been just all over me. Last week, we were in a great church and heard a great sermon, but I was just like wanting the pastor to get off the stage so I could go talk to the people about this, uh, this great, great topic that I'm going to be talking about this weekend. This is my third time to do this just in the last 24 hours, and I cannot wait to talk to you about what God has for me to talk to you about. But before I get into that, can I just say that two weeks from this weekend, we're going to be doing a, a new series called Thrive. It is a fantastic series. It's, I, I've never remixed a series in all my 24 years of pastoring here, but this is the first time that I'm going to remix a series. Now, when I preach this series... Uh, Ten years ago, it had 19 sermons. It'll only have six this time. So I'm, I'm just really having a great time. I'll talk to you about it at the end of the service, but it's all about living a functional life in a dysfunctional world. That starts two weekends from, from this weekend. But today I want to talk to you about something else that's really, really on my mind. Uh, it kind of got me going. Uh, I kind of got going on this topic uh, because of something that's happened with us here at New Spring. You know, of course, we're, we're getting ready to build a building, and, and so we've been working on this process for about a couple of years, and our board and executive pastor and myself, we were, we were like securing financing and a line of credit. And you know how the things are in the economy we're in right now. It's kind of tough to borrow money, but you guys are wonderful, and you're, you're so consistent in your giving, and we're so careful and frugal in the way we spend money in our, you know, our financial house is impeccable. So even in these tough times, we had lending institutions saying, yeah, we'll be glad to, to lend you what you need. And, and in our case, we want to make sure that we got the very best institution. So our board worked on this and our executive pastor, Billy Poor and I did. Finally, we, we came with the institution that we just felt that they were, they were by far the best in what they were offering us and how, how the process was going to work out. And so by the end of last year, really, we had all this pretty well set the lending institution got back with us because I got the word like a day after Christmas. The lending institution came back and said, we just need one more thing. We need you guys to secure a million-dollar life insurance policy on Mark. And that's what's called key man insurance. And some of you have been part of that with your company. You, you know, the, the CEO has to have a policy on him so that if, in case he just kills over dead, it's kind of a way of covering the, the, the interruption, business interruption. And so they said, we're going to have to have a million dollars. You guys are going to have to secure a million dollar key man insurance policy on Mark. Well, the moment I heard that, I, 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 got, I kind of got down about that because I don't know if there are any other men. I, don't think, I think women are smarter than this, but I don't know if there are any other men who are here like me. I don't like to have physicals. <laughs> and we have a lot of physicians at New Spring, and a lot of you are listening to me saying, Mark, that's not good. I know it's not good. I know it's not good. But I just, I don't know what it is. It's like, I mean, my dad calls me all the time. We talk, and dad says, how are you doing? And I say the same thing to him all the time. I say, I'm doing great, and if I'm not, I don't want to know. <laughs> and that's kind of how I am. My, my, my physician is a great friend of mine, and he's a great believer. And, and, and I went to the doctor the other day, and, and they pulled my file. You know what? My, my file is like, like a pamphlet. So I'm thinking at my age, I, and, and beyond that too, you know, you start getting a million dollar plus life insurance policy, they want to check you out pretty well because they don't want to like insure you and then you fall over dead. So they, it's a pretty thorough checkup that they, that they go through in that process. And actually, you know, I obsess over stuff. I got on the internet and I typed out what kind of, you know, f- physical do you have to have for a million dollar insurance policy? And I started reading, I'm thinking, my goodness, they're going to look me over pretty carefully. And, and at my age, I thought they're going to find something wrong. 
they're going to find something wrong, you know? And so I was really nervous about that. And actually, I even, boy, I'm telling more than I need to. I asked our executive pastor, I said, talk to the bank, ask them if we really have to do that. And they came back and said, we really have to do that. So I got scheduled. And Mick, that's more than you want to know, isn't it? I mean, you didn't want to know all that when you came in today. You say, did I fight the traffic to find out about Mark's physical? Um, but it turned out great. I mean, thankfully, I'm grateful for that. My, you know, my physical came back really, really great and, and for an old guy. And I was really glad that I have that. And, and they, they insured me and, and it turned out to be less money than we thought it was going to be for that policy. And so we were reporting that to our board, our trustees who are our financial board. And I'm sitting at the head of the table and we've given the information out that we have secured the policy. And I'm noticing that some of our trustees are kind of looking like they want to say something but I'm not sure they want to say it. And I know what they're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. You just strategically sound business would say, if you're able to secure a million dollars life insurance and it doesn't cost that much money, maybe you should bump that up a little bit. But how do you say that when the guy's sitting at the table? And I knew what was on their minds. And here's what I said to them. I said, guys, you need to understand, I'm not a bit squeamish at all about talking about this. In fact, I'm delighted. And and here's what I said to them. I said, guys, I thought about this. You really should bump up the life insurance policy so that if I die, when they're conducting my funeral here at New Spring, whoever is conducting it at the end can say, and now we have some nice parting gifts. I mean, I think it just (laughs) made all the sense in the world. I don't have a death wish because I, I hope I live. In fact, my prayer, I, I've always, I have no interest in retiring. I just said, Lord, let me work to the last day and just take me home. That would be my dream. I love that. I, I don't have a death wish, but I don't freak about death. And you shouldn't either. Have you ever invited Jesus into your life? If you have, you should not freak about death. And so this morning, here is what's all over me. This is my third time to get to deliver this message. I wish, I, I wish we had 10 services this weekend because I love the message this morning. It is a countdown. I'm a sports freak, and I love the top 10 countdowns. This morning, we have a top 10 countdown, 10 reasons why you shouldn't freak about dying, okay? So if you're taking notes this morning, I'm telling you this is good stuff. And, 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 and what you're going to hear from mostly is not Mark. I'm going to give you scriptures to prove all 10 of these things. This is so cool. Top 10 reasons why you shouldn't freak about dying. Here's number 10. You won't really die. (laughs) Man, you're going to pull off a hoax. You guys will see the, you know, the, gal, the gal that went to Florida, took her daughter, and you know, just said she was kidnapped, and really she was down at Disney World. <laughs> That's what's going to happen when you die. <laughs> They're going to have your funeral, and you're going to be in Disney. <laughs> Heaven, that's a lot better than Disney. See, that's the deal. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus, give me, let me give you a little bit of background before we get into this. A guy named Lazarus, who was a good friend of Jesus, had passed. And he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus' death had come suddenly. He'd had an illness. 
and, and he died before Jesus could get to town. And Jesus waited deliberately because he, it was, and we could talk about that someday, but what Jesus wanted these people to understand was that he had power over death. See, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they said, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother hadn't died, but now he's dead and there's nothing you can do. Well, Jesus wanted to show them there was still something he could do. And so Lazarus died, and, and they put his body out in the grave, been dead four days, and Jesus gets to Bethany, a little town where they live. And Bethany would be like Andover to Wichita. Bethany is to Jerusalem, but Andover is to Wichita. It's real close, laid outside the city. And, and Jesus got to Bethany, and Mary and Martha came out. And, and here's what Jesus told the sisters. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what did I just say? What is number 10? You won't really die. Jesus is going to try twice to get this across. Because this is a tough thing to get across. Because what we see, you know, when a person dies, it looks bad. You know, we're at the deathbed. We see the casket. We see the flowers at the funeral home. We go out to the cemetery. There's a hole in the ground. We leave the casket in the ground. Everything we can see looks bad. And Jesus is talking to a family who has just been through that very thing. But he tries twice to get this point across. Listen to what he says first. He says, anyone who believes in me. How many, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you believe in Jesus this morning? All right, all right. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Oh, wait a minute. After dying, people are dead, not people who believe in Jesus. Because after we die, Jesus said, he will live even after dying. Now, just in case people didn't get that, Jesus backed up and took another run at it. Any, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. That means it's impossible for you to die. You're a trichotomy. You're a three-parted person. Your body, soul, and spirit. Now, the body, you see, that's the thing. In our Western world, we tend to think that we are our body. So when our bodies are dead, we're dead. But it's not the case. There is a part of you that is invisible. There's a part of you that's cognitive, that's alert, that's decision-making. There's a part of you that's, that's mind and emotion and will. The Bible calls that your soul. There is also your spirit, which this is over my head, but the spirit is the part of us that is, can communicate with God. That part is never going to die. We've heard about near-death experiences or NDEs as, the, as the, you know, the, the experts call it, where a person almost dies and for a while they, they may be something close to physically dead or clinically dead, and these people come back to life and they talk about a long hallway and, and meeting family members I, I don't know how much of that we can rest on, but it, it is consistent with what Jesus just said, isn't it? What he's saying is there's a part of you, the, the, the part of you that's thinking, that's alert, that's alive, that's energetic, that feels, that makes decisions. That part of you is never going to die. Guys, I'm going to risk going into overtime with this message if I'm not careful, but I just want to say one more thing. In, in, in mathematics here, in the way, in the way we, we do numerals, you can remember back when you were doing long division when you were, you know, in third grade or second grade or whenever you started that. If you were doing a, a, a division problem, long division problem, and the remainder kept repeating out into infinity, let's say it was a three or a six or a nine, there's a way of showing that that numeral repeats itself into infinity without doing three, 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 three. You can just draw a bar over the three. The Greeks could do that with a word. As if to say, this is so emphatic. It's as if this word just repeats itself out into infinity. And that's this particular verse, the way it is. Jesus said, anyone who lives and believes in me will never, 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 never. I mean, as if a borrower over it into infinity, never die. Now, think with me for a moment. Jesus raised three people from the dead. What did he do each time? Did he do some sort of incantation? 
Did he like, you know, put ashes on top of them or something? What did Jesus do when he raised three people back to life? He called them. He called them. Well, you don't call somebody who can't hear you. I mean, I, I think probably if I'm poor Lazarus, he'd been in heaven for four days. I mean, he's having a time of his life, man. And Jesus is saying, Lazarus, I'm sorry, man. You've got to come back. Your sisters are freaking here. You've got to come back. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus said, Lazarus, come on. I mean, somebody said he was at the cemetery when he did this. Somebody said Jesus had to call Lazarus by name because if he just said, come forth, they'd all come out. Wouldn't well, that have driven people crazy? Man, it's so wonderful to realize you're not going to die. A thousand years before Jesus was born, there was a shepherd who became a king. And he was writing about what the Lord meant to him. In the chapter that we love so much, the 23rd Psalm, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I won't want. But he got down to that line that said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Think about David's language. He said, I'm going to walk through it. Death isn't the cosmic stop sign. He didn't say, though I walk into the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I'm going through it. And then he called it the shadow of death. See, death is not what it appears to be. It's just a shadow. Hey, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be hit by a truck or the shadow of a truck? Man, David says, we're just going to get hit by a shadow. Because it's not what it appears to be. Jesus was cranking this out in John 11. You're never going to die. Man, i got to go on. Doesn't it scare you when a pastor's got 10 points? It's 25 minutes to 12 and you got nine left. Number nine, you will still be you. (laughs) I I, I get tickled sometimes. Actually, I get frustrated listening to people talk to me about what they think is going to happen after they die. They don't know. They're going to come back. Maybe there'll be a squirrel. Maybe there'll be a nut or a frog. You know, maybe they'll come back different genders. I mean, I've talked to guys. You know, I'm a plumber now, but I used to be a witch back in Salem in the 1700s. Where do people come up with this stuff? Maybe they're going to come back as a fog or a mist or leaf. Hey, let me just, thankfully, God just like nails this down. You know what you're going to be after this life is over? You're going to be you. You will be you. God has given you your identity. It belongs to you. I mean, one of the things I love about pastoring, you know, I pastor thousands of people, but what's really cool is that all of us are different. And I love that. There's diversity in God's creation. Identity and diversity. And when you die, you will still be you. Let me prove this to you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, um, Jesus takes three of his followers, Peter, Peter, James, and John, up on top of a mountain. In verse 29 of Luke 9, it says, And he was, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Then two men appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. Oh, angels, right? Two guys. We, we used the term, we sang glory, glory, glory in a song a moment ago, and the very word for glory means light. And, and so these, these two guys who were up on top of the mountain, they were very glorious. There was light coming off of them. But the Bible says, no, they weren't angels. They were Moses and Elijah. Let me show you what's really cool about that. Moses lived in about 1400 B.C. Elijah lived about 600 B.C. And Peter and James and John are there, and they're living in probably, this is probably about 27 A.D. And yet they're all there together. And they're all, and this is what's really cool. You got, you know, Moses and Elijah are not contemporaneous. 
And yet they're all there together. And the cool thing is the, the person who pulls them together is Jesus. And they're just chatting it up with Jesus. And what are they talking about? This is in verse 31. They were speaking about his exodus from this world, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. I would have loved, no wonder Peter wanted to stay there. I'd love to have been there. Because you got Moses and Elijah, and they're, they're talking with Jesus, and they're saying, man, it's just not the same up there without you. When are you coming home? Jesus said, well, it looks like uh, it's just a few days here. Uh, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to go down there, and I'm going to die, and, and I'm going to rise from the grave, and probably about 40 days later, I'll be coming home. Moses was Moses, Elijah was Elijah. And you know what? When you and I die, we're still going to be who we are. In fact, we're not going to die. We're going to go right on living. You will still be you. Number eight, in the countdown, 10 reasons why you shouldn't freak over dying. Number eight, there will be no stopping you. In 32 years of pastoring, one of the saddest experiences I've had, and I've had it repeatedly, is when someone would get the word that they weren't going to live for a long time. Terminal illness. And I've had especially young people say to me, Mark, I've just got to this place in my life. Why do I have to go now? One of the saddest experiences I've ever had, I remember talking to a young mom who was holding a newborn baby in her arms and she'd just gotten the word that she was terminal. And she said, Mark, why do I have to go now? I think death always makes us feel that way, doesn't it? I mean, we say it. We say the person had so much to live for. But the great thing about being in Christ is that when this life is over, small and short that it is, we're going to a life that will be eternal. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house, he's talking about our new body, a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Now, frankly, I've lived long enough in this body to realize it is not eternal. I could, already take, I could already conduct a funeral for some of the parts of my body because they are gone. They've already gone on to glory. But you and I are going to have a body someday that will be eternal and there will never be any stopping us. Number seven, you will live the way you were designed to live. Here's the big question that I've probably gotten most in my career as a pastor. People say to me, Mark, why do I have bad things that happen in my life? Well, this, this world is cursed. This life that we're living in is short. And Jesus said, this world is, you know, as long as you live in this world, you're going to have difficulty. But you and I were not designed for this life. We were designed for the life to come. This is just a great line. I hope you have it in your Bible. I hope you have it marked. Second Corinthians 5, 5, it's talking about the life to come. The Bible says, God himself has prepared us for this. Do you ever just get frustrated with this world? And the way it operates, that's because you weren't prepared for this world. I mean, you remember when Noah sent the, the raven and the dove out after the flood? And the raven went out and stayed out because there was a lot of carrying on top of the waters and he could be happy. But when Noah sent the dove out, the dove came back because the dove just didn't, you know, dead, bar, dead carcasses out floating on the water is not a dove's appetite. And if you ever have the feeling in this world, wow, I just don't feel like I fit. I just don't feel like, I, and you're right, you weren't designed for this life. You were designed for the life to come. I love what the message, how the message says it. Sometimes, this is Second Corinthians 5 verse 2, sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. 
compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. If you ever feel like this world has never been fair to you, you're not home yet. When you die or when Jesus comes, you will live the life you were, des- you were destined to live. Number six, you're going to be seriously upgraded. How many of you like being upgraded? Man, I do. I do. I love it. I'm a, I'm a bargain hunter, and I love being upgraded. I, was in, I flew into DFW about a year ago, last spring, and uh, I... I you know, my rent car was a standard or a compact or something like that. And I got into DFW at an unusual time. And I walked to the counter, and the woman behind the counter said, I'm sorry, we don't have any standard cars. We only have two cars left. One is a Chevrolet panel van. <laughs> Can you see me driving around the Metroplex? And just one guy in this huge van, no windows. And she said, the other one we got in, nobody has driven it yet. It's the very first one that we've gotten like this. It was some sort of Cadillac rocket, like had 500 horsepower or something in it. And, and, and she said, we only have these two. And I said, hmm, let me think about this for a minute. <laughs> man, see, in the Cadillac rocket, man, you just pushed the button and it started and it roared. I mean, it was just, and I'm driving around the Metroplex. I paid for a standard car and I'm driving this rocket. I love being upgraded. Back when I used to fly a lot as Delta Frequent Flyer, and, and I got, you know, they put me back in, in coach where my seat was. And you know what it's like? You get all scrunched up, and the kid, you know, in front of you is turning around looking at you and, and, and you know, spitting candy at you and all that kind of thing. And, and the flight attendant came to me, and she said, um, we, we're going we're gonna to move you up to first class. That's the only time it ever happened. Man, I'd never flown first class before. It's a different world. You know, you're back there with 200 people in coach, and you got one flight attendant. You go up there, and there's six people. You know, there's six people in first class, and there's a flight attendant for every person there. Would you like something to drink? Would you like something to eat? Would you like a wash, warm washcloth to put on your neck? I mean, wow. I love being upgraded. Hey, did you know that when you die, you're going to be seriously upgraded? I've been talking for God for a long time. I've been pastoring for 32 years, but I started speaking when I was 16. Now, I remember I did a lot of youth revivals back in those days. And, and I used to get kids that would come ask me questions. And they would ask me questions like, you think I'll um, get my driver's license before Jesus comes back? Do you think I'll graduate from high school before Jesus comes back? Do you think I'll graduate from college? And most of the time, the, the girls were going to ask me, do you think I'll have a chance to get married before Jesus comes back? I mean, it was like, don't preach about Jesus coming back. It is messing me up. As if, you know, when the next life comes, we're going to be downgraded. You know, and, and, and I still get that question. People say, you know, do you think I'm going to be able to get married before Jesus comes back? Do you think I'm going to be able to get divorced before Jesus comes back? You know, <laughs> will I be able to have kids before Jesus comes back? Will my kids grow up and leave the house before Jesus comes back? It's like, <laughs> do you realize that this world, this life at its best cannot even begin to con- compare to how great it's going to be in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, the Bible says, somebody may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Will it be downgraded or upgraded? What a foolish question, Paul says. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. 
And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. Well, this is kind of like a men's question. What Paul is saying is, look, if you, if you want to understand the relationship of this body to the body that you're going to have, what a seed is to the fruit, so this body is to the next body. I was almost late to church last night because this idea popped into my head on the way to church and I had to drive to Dylan's. But I got thinking about this. Can, and you probably won't be able to see this because it's just like really, really small. But in this, there are some, oh, this is the wrong bag. No wonder you can't see it. There's nothing in that bag. If you could see that, you'd be really something. Um, these are apple seeds. Now, can you imagine eating a plate of apple seeds? And they don't taste like apples, do they? And they sure don't look like apples. And these are Granny Smith apples, because I love Granny Smith apples. I love, apple, I love apples that bite back. I just love the sour taste of a Granny Smith apple. But that doesn't look like this. Well, let me, let me try another one here. Um, I've only had like a couple of people in both services guess what kind of seed this is. Anybody know? Oh, I hear it over here. Mango. I love mangoes. Love mangoes. I, I was preaching in Puerto Rico, and the pastor's wife brought out cold cereal for breakfast one morning. And uh, so I thought, great, you don't have Cheerios. And then she had gone out to the backyard and cut fresh mango and put it on top of Cheerios. I, Cheerios have never been the same since. <laughs> love mangoes. And I, I actually ate this one. I had to hurry and eat it, and I got it, the juice all over me. But mangoes are wonderful. But, you know, you wouldn't want to eat this. But you would want to eat this. And then I got a peach up here. Is there anything uglier than a peach seed? It's all shriveled. But man, I love peaches. Don't, I, love, I love this time of year because peaches are plentiful and they're inexpensive and you can make peach ice cream and you can do all kinds of cool things with peaches. And see, here's the thing. Wouldn't I be foolish to say, oh, bring me a whole plate of peach pits. And we're just as foolish when we say... All I care about is this life. Now, let me read a little bit more on this same chapter. This time I'm reading from the message. This is in verse 42 of the same chapter. Paul said, This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural. The seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body. But what a difference from when, when it goes down in physical mortality to when it's raised up in spiritual immortality. So you're going to be seriously upgraded. And I tell you what, I'm glad for that. If you, if you don't like your body today, and I think most of us have some issue with our body, you're going to love it when you get to heaven. You're going to... I didn't know whether to say you're going to be seriously upgraded or still the men's warehouse slogan, you're going to love the way you look. You're going, to, you're going to love the way you look when you get to heaven. Number five, check out your model home because the Bible keeps calling these bodies that we're going to have in heaven, it keeps calling them a house that we're going to live in. What are we going to be like when we get to heaven? First John 3, 2. John writes, dear friends, now are we the children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. John is saying, man, whatever that fruit is that we're going to be, whatever that awesome body that we're going to have, John said, I'm I'm not really sure exactly what it is. But we know that when he, that's Jesus, when he appears, we we shall be like him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's game, set, match for me right there. 
I don't know what I'm going to be when I get to heaven, but the Bible says I'm going to be like Jesus. Man, I freak sometimes when I listen to Christians talk about what happens after we die. Where do we come up with this stuff? People say, oh, we get to heaven, we're going to be angels. No. We're going to have wings. You got wings now? Man, where do we come up with this stuff? The Bible says we're made a little bit lower than the angels in this life, but Scripture says when we get to heaven, we will be like Jesus. Like Jesus. Okay, well, now that we know that we're going to be like Jesus, that opens up a few more doors because what was Jesus like after he rose from the dead? In our countdown, let's go to number four. You'll be tangible but not limited by matter. One of the questions that people have about what we're going to be like after we die is, are we going to be like spirits that will float around and float through doors, or will we be touchable, tangible? From what we can pick up from Jesus, it's going to be the best of both. After Jesus rose from the grave in John chapter 20, he appeared to his disciples. And let's read this. This is in John 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. Now, let's go back and think about what we read for a moment. Now, when you're, when you're in a locked room, you don't expect anybody on the outside to show up on the inside. But that's what happened. Jesus, I mean, Jesus' disciples were in a locked room. They were scared because Jesus had just been crucified, and they were afraid that maybe they were going to get in trouble. And yet, all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up in the room. How did he get there? Clearly had to go through the wall. I don't know how the physics of it worked out, but in his new body, clearly he was not restricted by matter. But in the same context, the Bible says that he showed them the wounds in his hands and his feet, so they were actually able to touch him. I don't know what this means. When we get to heaven, we'll figure it out. But evidently, when you get to heaven, you'll be able to walk through material, and yet at the same time, you'll be tangible. Number three, I like this one, and given it's about 10 minutes to 12, it really fits. You're going to eat. You're going to eat. And the cool thing is when you get to heaven, there won't be any diets. I have this on direct revelation from God. The food there will not have calories. You won't have to worry about it. But you are going to eat. We know because the Bible talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the Bible talks about, you know, having dinner and Jesus serving us. But just to get to the, and it's so interesting, you know, we have four gospels, four stories of Jesus. One of them was written by a doctor. I don't know how many doctors we have here today, but I know you doctors are really excited about figuring, you know, seeing this new body and what it's going to be like. And Dr. Luke was intrigued by it. And only he records this. At one point, Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, and they were still scared because they didn't know if he was a ghost or what. They were trying to figure it all out, and Jesus was trying to help them. And this is in Luke 24, verse 41. It said, they stood there in disbelief. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Because he tried to show them, you know, touch my hands, touch, my, touch the nail prints and stuff, and he still couldn't get it across them. And finally he said, you guys have anything here to eat? And so they said, yeah, they had some fish. Look at this. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. You know how my imagination is. Oh, what's Jesus saying to us? Man, the bodies that we're going to have after we resurrect, we're still going to eat. I love that. Let me give you number two, the second thing. In the top ten countdown, the second thing is perfection. What I've discovered about life is no matter how good it gets, there's always something that makes it difficult. Listen to what the Bible says heaven is going to be like. Revelation 21, verse 3. 
I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And in the last chapter of your Bible, the Bible says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. If you want to go green, you're going to love heaven. No longer will there be any curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. We live in a cursed world right now. And no matter how good it gets, we keep bumping into that curse. Bad things happen to good people. Pain, suffering, death, abuse. And yet scripture says that in our next life, the curse is going to be lifted and Jesus will be there. It's going to be awesome. Perfection. Love that. Well, we've counted down to number one. What is the number one reason why you shouldn't freak over talking about dying? Simply this. Number one. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. When you think about death, what is it that we fear? After what we've seen today, we've learned that there's nothing that we should fear. I, I know I'm talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, I'm not afraid of death. Well, you're fibbing to me. You say, well, I'm afraid of heights. No, you're afraid of falling and dying. You say, well, I'm afraid of snakes. No, you're afraid of getting bit and dying. I mean, we're all, we all have a fear of death. It's just innate. For people who don't know God, life has to look like, well, you do everything you can and you squeeze as much as you can get out of it and then you die and you disappear. Listen to what the Bible says. This is one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. And this is like a layer cake. You're going to cut into several layers here. Really, Really pay attention to these layers. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Isn't that interesting? That God became human and died. Because he couldn't die as God. But he became human and he died. And in his death, what did he do? He ripped the power of death away from Satan. And three days later, he walked out of his grave. And he had defeated death forever. You ever like, when you were a kid, you ever like come to a river or a creek? You don't know if you can swim and get across. And then somebody just jumps into the river and swims to the side and then waves and says, come on. Well, it's even more powerful than that because what Jesus did was he took death upon himself and he walked out of his grave and he waved to us on the other side and said, it's going to be just fine when you die because I live, you shall live also. Now, this and I'm through. If you leave today and somebody asks you, what did Mark talk about today? And you say, dying. You missed the point. 
Because I'm not talking about dying today, I'm talking about living. Because you're not prepared to live until you're not afraid of dying. How many of you have been to one of those business seminars? You know how they are. You know, and you get that sort of semantic question that says, what would you be willing to try if you knew you couldn't fail? That's an okay question. But how would you live if you knew you never could die? That's a bigger question. How would you live your life if you weren't afraid? See, this is all about living. What the Lord has done for us, he's taken away the fear of death and said all these good things about you're never going to die, you're going to be upgraded, you're going to live the life you were destined to live. God has just bulked up and giving us these truths so that the time that we're down here, we will make the most difference because we're not afraid of dying. We're not squeamish about talking about death. Think about that today. Would you pray with me, please? I couldn't preach today's message without asking you, are you ready? Now, I hope you don't die for, you know, 100 years. But at the same time, I've got to ask you, are you ready? There's a very powerful distinction because not everybody is going to heaven, but anybody could. God has opened the door so wide that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, no matter how bad the things you've done are, no matter how good you feel like you are, God has opened the door so that anyone could be saved. All these promises are for people who receive Christ. Remember, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never die. I'm not asking you to join a church because the church can't get you into heaven. I'm not asking you to give money because that couldn't get you into heaven. I'm not asking you to try to live a better life because that sure can't get you into heaven. I'm not asking you if your parents were part of a religion because that won't get you in either. There's only one thing, and that is having a personal relationship with Jesus, receiving his gift. You just read it. God became flesh and blood so that he could die, and in his dying, he defeated the power of death so that anyone who receives him can have everlasting life. That's why the scripture says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. The Lord is just listening for someone to call out and say, Lord, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. Give me what I cannot do for myself. Have you ever had that moment? If you've never had that moment, you can do it right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can repeat the words after me. These aren't magic words. You can pray your own prayer if you wish. But these are words that call out to God. And you can settle the most important question of life. Every promise we've talked about, you can claim personally. If you'll receive God's gift of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I'm not going to be defensive about it. I'm going to own up. I believe you died to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. I receive your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that happened so quickly, but it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in your life. But I understand that you may still have a lot of questions. And so if you just pray with me to receive Christ, I have a gift that I've prepared for you. Hopefully that will answer a lot of your questions. There's some DVDs and cool stuff in here. It's totally free. 
It will not cost you anything. If you just pray to receive Christ, if you'll take your worship folder, you can detach. There's a part of it that's detachable. If you'll put your name and address, check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. You can drop that card in the offering bags, or you can drop it uh, in the boxes at the back, and I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to. If you'd like to have it today, if you have a few extra seconds, you can go back through Geff's services at New Springs store, and uh, you can just say, hey, I pray with Mark. They'll give you this. You can take it with you today. Guys, let me just tell you a real a quick thing while the ushers are coming forward. Two weeks from today, or actually yesterday for the Saturday night service, I start a brand new series called Thrive. And for all of us who have tried to live a functional life in a dysfunctional world, and want to be a success, you're going to love this series. It starts two weekends from now. I can't wait to get it going.